you can double your revenue every five years without adding a single new customer. And the question, well, how? It's not possible. My, my job is to create more demand, more, and you're saying no new customers, no new customers. How do you do that? And in 2023, everybody's struggling to get net new customers. So how do you do that? And the, the answer to that question is the NRR, the net revenue retention. If your NRR is over 120%, which means you're servicing your existing customers really well, you're asking questions, you're building new products to expand within that, which allows you to have 120% NRR. Hey everyone, welcome to the GTM News Show. I got Singram here today. Hey Singram, how you doing? Taylor, excited to be here. Go to market is all the rage, so let's talk about it. Awesome, let's do it. And uh, for those that know, Singram is co-founder of uh, GTM Partners, co-founder of Terminus. He also wrote a book that was super helpful for me, Move, uh, that kind of expanded my understanding of really B2B growth and expand it into this category of go-to-market. So let's talk about that first. Let's define, Singram, what does go-to-market mean? As I'm sure a lot of folks are still trying to wrap their head around this kind of new term we're using in the BU yeah. world. Well, I mean, I think I think about most people who, have, who are brought up in the marketing autom automation world were like, well, when marketing automation came about, it changed email marketing, right? It, all of a sudden, we were able to... Uh, save leads and send leads. And we thought that was the new big thing. And everybody got excited about it. Um, you fast forward five, 10 more years, 2015, ABM came about, account-based marketing. And that again changed the world that we all live in because we're like, whoa, not only you can look at leads, but now you can look at accounts and people in B2B buy as an account, not just as a lead. So account-based marketing, account-based experiences, account-based engagement really became a thing. And that has been really good for our industry. And you fast forward now, again, another five, seven years, GTM is now a thing. And I feel like I live in acronyms now, it, you know, MA <laughs> and ABM and GTM. Uh, and go-to-market is, is, is just like everything else is not new. Like we all need to figure out how we take a product to go-to-market. But you said it well in the introduction. And I was, I felt the same thing as I was writing the book. I thought I knew go-to-market. I built companies. I built teams. I thought I know how to do it. But let's be honest. Most of us have grew up in an inbound, maybe outbound culture, and that's pretty much what our go-to-market idea is. Or maybe some of you listening to this might think that, well, product marketing, like marketing a product when you launch a product, that's how when you talk about go-to-market, how do you take this product to market? But man, the research has helped me redeframe and rethink about it because when I when I talk to people like Brian Halligan, who is the CEO of HubSpot and investors and, um, and, and founders and VCs out there, what I learned was most people think about go-to-market much differently. As a matter of fact, here is, a, here is a, a quick way to think about how broad it is, like as you said, Teller, how expansive it is when you started reading about it, is if you want to open an office in Europe and APAC and expand versus stay in North America, that's a go-to-market decision. If you want to spend more money on marketing or hire more salespeople, that's a go-to-market decision. If you want to go channel-led or inbound-led versus outbound-led or go PLG or you want to go ecosystem, that's a go-to-market decision. So go-to-market really is your strategic direction of how you want to run your business. So it's very broad at the highest level. So that's my introduction for the concept why go-to-market has become so important for everybody. I love it. That's super great. Thanks for sharing. And I think I'm curious your thoughts 
on uh, why has this not come sooner and, and why, why is this term just now making uh, an impact? Uh, and, and, and the word that keeps coming to my mind is silos. Yeah. Um, and love for your thoughts on that. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, you could just use the same three examples of marketing automation. It was, oh, let's give make marketers better and now we can give leads. And then ABM, sales and marketing alignment. And then right now, every time I thought about that, maybe this is the functional problem that companies have. But the reality is, and I say that at the roadshows, we've said that in the book, and we have said that now more and more often is that you don't have a marketing problem. You don't have a sales problem. You don't have a customer success problem. Well, you don't even probably even have a product problem. What you have, if you're really honest with yourself, is you have a go-to-market problem, which means the teams have to come together to solve a problem. An example of that would be you might say, well, we don't, the sales process is, 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 is stretched right now in almost every organization. You might just fire all of your salespeople and say, well, it's a sales problem because sales can't close the deal. But the reality is macroeconomics have changed. Maybe you need to change a new, your product and make it PLG-ish so that people can get a taste of it because people buying habit has changed a little bit. Maybe you need to jump into the AI because everybody's talking about generative AI. So you need to innovate on that when all of a sudden become an overnight AI company because market has changed. Maybe your pricing and packaging needs to be different. So maybe your product marketing has to fix that. The thing is, once you look at it as a go-to-market problem, you can now bring marketing, sales, customer success, product, rev ops, all these different people who have a vested interest in making go-to-market successful be part of the solution instead of having one particular siloed department to solve the problem, which they really can't. And that's why you see people fired all the time. And I feel bad about that. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. From my experience, my anecdotal experience is that uh, generally speaking, uh, when you when you're not being able to grow or marketing struggling with growing, it may not be marketing's fault. It may be that the product needs to adapt. And hearing what you're saying is that it's it's looking at from a holistic standpoint, actually the almost like the three whys, right? Like the yeah. why behind the why behind the why. It's may, just because you're not growing from a lead gen standpoint or a demand gen standpoint doesn't necessarily mean that's a marketing. It may be something else. So let's talk about how do we provide leadership in an organization around this topic? You know, I was actually doing an interview with a marketing leader just earlier today, and they were talking about how marketing, you know, can take ownership with, with go to market, or you see a lot of CROs owning go to market or CMOs owning it. What's your thoughts on that? Who should own it? Well, we asked this question, right? As part of the book, I was very convinced that marketing owns it because I come from a marketing background and like my chief marketing officer, like go to market, market is in the title. So I should own it. I couldn't be more wrong. Um, and, and it goes back to the very opening conversation. Go to market is not a product launch conversation or, or go to market is not just inbound, outbound, go to market motion conversation. Go to market is a business conversation. And as I've been in more board conversations lately, and as I've built companies, I've learned that, oh my gosh, we are talking about go-to-market all the time, but we just sometimes not use the phrase go-to-market. Almost every conversation ends up becoming a go-to-market decision. And when you think about where you open up businesses, who well, should we invest in marketing or sales? Should we create new products or buy companies? These are all go-to-market decisions. And really there's only one person who can make those decisions when you think about it at that context or that level and that's a ceo so it was 
very opening, eye-opening for us when we would ask a CEO who owns go-to-market and almost every CEO we interviewed say, without blinking, oh, I own it. Of course I own it. Then we asked their CMOs and CROs and the CFOs and the, the second, third layer. They're like, I think I own part of it. I think uh, the, the, the sales leader owns part of it. Everybody had different answers, but the CEO was like, no, I own it. Like, this is my job. I'm going to have other people own parts of executing, executing on it, but I make that decision. I have to because there's nobody else has that purview in the entire business as a CEO. So as much as people want to own it, I think they can be. They should be great facilitators. Uh, the book that you shared, like the Move book, we created a bunch of questions and assessments for people to use to have those conversations. But gosh, let's be very clear. All the way from Brian Halligan, CEO of a public company, all the way to startup companies when we have talked to, everyone said, I, the CEO, owns go-to-market. Thanks for sharing. I love that. And I keep thinking uh, the difference between B2B and B2C because I've, I've, I've experienced a lot of CMOs in the B2C world own go-to-market where it sounds like maybe in the B2B world, the CEO should own it. Any thoughts there? Well, the, there's portions of go-to-market that everybody should own. And when they own is you're owning the execution of it. So there is no... So for example, what would a CMO... How could a CMO make a decision of investing in more sales or marketing it, you know nine out of ten times the C cmo is going to be thinking about their own functional area and saying well i can hire more content people to write more content that will create more inbound and all that kind of stuff that person would never think about well i need to just give all that money to my salesperson so that the salesperson can it just doesn't happen now there could be some trade-offs but that's not what they wake up every morning thinking so the C, the CMO is just does not have all the insight to make that level of business decision. So I love the aspiration of it, but the reality is far from it. The reality is that you're going to have a role to play. Probably the most strategic person in the room is a CMO uh, because the CMO is looking at data, looking at insights, working with all the stakeholders pretty much is the person that everybody says when things go wrong, it is a marketing fault. I've been in that situation, so I know that. So... <laughs> You are in the middle of it. So you probably are great at asking questions, facilitating go-to-market conversations. But let's be honest, you can't own it because you cannot change the compensation or incentive for other departments mm. to do certain things. You just can't. If you could, I know you would, but you can't. Only CEO can do that. I love that. That's super helpful. Thank you. Let's switch gears a little bit. So we're about to head into the second half of 2023. And this whole year, you know, especially in the B2B world, and go-to-market world is around efficiency, right? With the market conditions, et cetera, et cetera. Love to hear your thoughts on uh, where folks should be focusing from an efficiency standpoint and go-to-market. How do we align those two things? Well, I shared that stat. I did a mental math on this one, and I saw Jason Lumpkin actually put much more depth in it. Is this really interesting way to think about it? And we all grew up, everybody listening to this probably grew up like, we need to drive net new revenue. We need to get people in the top of the funnel. We need to generate more revenue. That's all we most of us have grown up in. But when you look at the math and see that you could double your revenue every five years without adding a single new customer. Let me say that again. You can double your revenue every five years without adding a single new customer. 
And the question, well, how? It's not possible. My, my job is to create more demand, more, and you're saying no new customers, no new customers. How do you do that? And in 2023, everybody's struggling to get net new customers. So how do you do that? And the, the answer to that question is the NRR, the net revenue retention. If your NRR is over 120%, which means you're servicing your existing customers really well, you're asking questions, you're building new products to expand within that, which allows you to have 120% NRR, which is possible, absolutely possible, then you can grow every five years even without owning or renewing or getting a new customers if you can retain those existing customers. Now, obviously, it's a it's a it's something that's possible in most companies. It's not something that most companies do. And that's the problem. So if you're in 2023 thinking about how do I grow, the way we have all looked at is let me hire 10 more SDRs. Let me create more content. Let me create more webinars. Let me create more all of these things. Maybe that's not the answer. Maybe the answer is how do I get more efficient and how do I spend way more time on customers? We all have philosophically agreed that's the right thing to do, but we really haven't been forced to do that now. The data is there and everybody pretty much is forced to focus more on your customers for the for good reason. So I'm excited for where people are going to come out of the end of the year. Companies who have spent more time with their more time with their customers are going to be ahead of everybody else. It's just literally what's going to happen. And you're going to hear you're not going to hear stories of companies who have done that well. Super cool. Thanks for sharing. I love that. It sounds like balancing the the weight of like instead of being fully focused on just net new and and expanding new customers it's how do we balance it out and create a more uh, a balanced uh, funnel for lack of a better expression yeah super cool love to talk kind of talk about a little bit about um in in the book you talk about this through a lot of your content on linkedin etc you talk about different challenges with go to market what are some like major pitfalls folks can avoid when they're thinking about go-to-market strategy, when they're thinking, and it's a very broad topic, but especially yeah. in this climate, what are some pitfalls um, that people can avoid when they oh, think about go-to-market? There's so many. I'm, I'm looking right now as you're doing this is our 15 go-to-market challenges. I mean, if people go to go-to-market partners, you know, they can, uh, they can actually see it. But there are 15 bespoke go-to-market problems that we identified as part of the book and the research and thousands of people have taken it. So we know them to be true. We haven't found a 16th one yet. So when you read it, that's a challenge to the viewers. Go to Go to Market Partners and just look at those 15. Uh, you don't have to download it, just literally on the page. So it, we haven't found a 16th one. The point being that most of these problems are common and most of these problems are something we can address. But the, the, the kicker there is these are not marketing sales CS product problems. These are go to market problems, which means the vocabulary of talking about that these problems have to change. Uh, the survey continues to happen every time we do the roadshow. So we add in the top one of those 15 are still, the, the number one is the companies are still relying relying on heroic sales activities as opposed to hero, instead of heroic, instead of plays, they're still focused on heroic sales, which means that hmm. people, sales, the best salespeople are still maybe hitting their numbers, but you can't really replicate that for the rest of your sales team. And therefore, the high cost to running your business that you can't really solve for and the best salesperson continues to still knock the ball out of the park and you're trying to turn everybody a clone of that person but that's not possible so you end up spending more money to get more salespeople, and that is plaguing our industry remember like the whole the whole sdr model was developed over the last five years not not over the last 25 years it's really over five to seven years where 
the whole SDR model and how the call ratio is to be, how do you lean growth, do it, hire more SDRs to get more return. And it was done on a spreadsheet. In an up market, that probably makes sense. When people can spend more money, when people are open to conversations, when people have flex budget, it makes perfect sense. But when you are in a down economy, hiring 30 more SDRs to do those things is not gonna work. People have to, to reinvent either a product innovation through PLG or marketing innovation through community-led or a way to experience, create experiences through event-led. There are many different ways to go about it. So, so I think the, the number one reason that we keep seeing is that companies who are relying on heroic sales activities are finding the hardest time to win in this time. Oh, I can totally resonate with that. I actually had Sam Jacobs, um, the CEO and founder of uh, Pavilion on a couple episodes ago, and uh, he was sharing that in regards to sales uh, reps in general, that maybe like a one to five is really, you know, ratio of what you should have right now. Uh, based upon the efficiency of, you know, the rest of the folks, like only 30, 25 to 30%, forget the exact number of hitting quota, right? And so that shows a tremendous inefficiency and relates to your sales team. You yeah, piqued my interest. We actually, we actually oh, signed yeah. up uh, with, uh, just to add to that, uh, to with with, uh, with Pavilion uh, being their strategic partner. So for all the original research that we're doing, we're starting to feed into Pavilion because they have this you know good amount of community of go-to-market leaders in it. And so we're dropping new research in there almost weekly now. Uh, and what's fascinating about what Sam mentioned and what we're seeing collectively is there was a time, I don't know, Taylor, if you remember, uh, on Facebook, on, on LinkedIn, where you would see people with videos um, uh, on a beach, uh, the high story saying that, hey, look at my life, I just made a million dollars, like you want to be, do you want a life like me? Like you had these videos uh, of these charismatic uh, folks and they're just living life. You don't see those videos anymore. Mm -hmm. They are gone because people are very quickly realizing that that's literally a pipe dream. Like that's not hmm. what real life is about. You need efficiency, you need predictability, you need to be able to see what's working and that requires work. And hmm. and that requires tough, uh, tough way to go about things. So if you, just this idea of, oh, you hire 10 more reps, you hire 20 more customer success people, you hire 20 engineers and go do that level of just not a very thoughtful way of growth is really what's what's being challenged right now. So I'm glad actually that's happening in the marketplace. Super exciting. We only got a couple minutes left, so I'd love for you to finish us off. You, you piqued my interest around community-led growth being an aspect. So lay it all out. What is community-led growth? How can people tap into this as an efficient growth driver? Uh, we, we put a research on this. Uh, people can look at look at that. And if you can put a tailor in the show notes, like you know, the, the, the GTM Monday and others, that, that'd be great uh, for people to look at. Uh, I've always said this, that without a community, you're simply a commodity. And I think it's very important for people to absorb that knowledge and understanding that without a community, you're going to simply become a commodity. The reason is every right, right now, everybody's building technologies. That is, if you go on G2 or any place, it sounds like everybody has the same exact words. We, we are <laughs> revenue efficient. We are uh, doubling pipeline, we grow revenue. It's like, wait a minute, so all these companies do the same thing and still companies are struggling? Like if I add up those numbers, we should be 10,000% high growth company if you have those tools because those tools claim to do that, but if still they're failing, which means people are not saying what really is going behind the scenes. So 
So, so the big part of it is that you got to have community where like, hey, I want to experiment. I want to look at it. I want to understand how to solve problems. And companies that are going to build communities are going to continue to win. HubSpot with inbound and uh, you think about uh, uh, Salesforce with Dreamforce. At Terminus, we build Flip My Funnel. You think about uh, sales uh, outreach acquired sales hacker to because they looked at well they couldn't build they didn't build a community it's not that they couldn't they're like well there's already communities acquired the reason pavilion we just talked about it's a community that all these technology vendors are trying to partner up with you gotta find a way to build your tribe that believes in the problem and if you do that your product at some point, whatever it ends up becoming, is going to help with that. If you don't have that, it's going to be really hard to to grow and and have that trust in 2023 or 2024 and beyond. Sergey, so I love it. Thanks so much for sharing. Thanks for so much for coming on the show. Uh, I'll definitely put uh, those links in, in the show notes. How can folks connect with you online as well? Well, I I'm not on any other social, but uh, uh, but LinkedIn. I try to post uh, one uh, one every other day. Uh, post on the latest research we're writing or anything I'm learning as a founder CEO. I'm in it with you and everybody else. We're all learning together. We don't got it all right. Uh, so, I, but I'm a big fan of documenting and sharing. So, if you follow me on LinkedIn, um, you will see a lot more connections on it. Singram, thanks so much for coming on and uh, take care. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much. And thanks everybody for listening.